All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be in verse 17 to start. It's going to be on the screen in just a second if it's not already. We're going to start a new series to start the semester, and I've titled it Applied. Um, and really what I want us to look at, and we're going to talk more detail Uh, More details about that in just a second. But what I want us to look at is this passage of Scripture, which is a very familiar passage of Scripture for a lot of you. But at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's writing specifically about this idea of being a new creation. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But the idea of applied is that we're going to take this basic truth that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about what it means to be a new creation if you are in Christ. That means if you are a Christ follower, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, Paul says you are a new creation. Not a better version of yourself, but a new creation. Not improved, but new. And so we're going to talk all semester about what it means to apply that truth. The truth that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. To apply that truth to every aspect of your life. And so we're going to look at difficult topics or issues that teenagers face each and every day. And so we're going to look, just for example, at your relationship with your parents, right? Or your grandparents or whoever it is that you live with. How many of you, even if your parents are in the room, you can still raise your hand. You probably should. You need to be very honest about that, especially when they're watching, right? And when they're not watching. All right. But raise your hand if you've ever had an issue with your parents. Like you've ever had a disagreement. Okay. All right. For being honest, yes. Parents, how many of you have ever had a disagreement with your child or children? Right. All of us. Right. Okay. Yes. All right. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what it means or, or, or how we interact with our friends. Right. Or people that aren't our friends. We're going to spend a couple weeks talking about uh, dating and everything that kind of goes in there with that. Some of you are like, you're like a seventh grade boy and you're like, bro, I'm not interested in all that. Cool. You will be at some point. And so we're going to go ahead and uh, try to get in some, some truth before um, you get too deep into middle school and you hear all kinds of craziness that isn't truth. And so we're going to talk about dating and different aspects um, of that. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about how to, re- how to relate and engage and what Scripture tells us how we should engage with people that don't look like us or talk like us or come from different places than we do. We're going to talk about alcohol and drugs and those types of things. We're going to talk about depression and suicide. We're going to talk about stuff that, that happens and that you face on a daily basis or that your friends or people you know are walking through on a daily basis. But we're going to do all of that with this truth as our foundation from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Okay. And so each and every week, this is going to be the foundation that we build all of those things on, is this truth that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, okay? And that's just going to kind of be our launching point each week. Does that make sense? So I want us to read this together, and then we're going to kind of just walk through the basic nuts and bolts of this passage, and I think it will hopefully give us a a fresh point of view on, on how we are called to live our lives each and every day. Does that make sense? So, real quickly, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I'm actually going to read verse 16 before we get to 17. Um, So in verse 16 it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We could spend all semester just talking about this verse and not adding anything to it. There's, there's a lot of spiritual truth that's happening here. And I want us to see, um, somebody made fun of me on uh, like a snap, Snapchat group message the other day about this, but I have a key truth for you, okay? Key truth. You knew it was coming, Lance. You knew it was coming, all right? So the key truth, okay? So basically, there are a lot of things that I say over and over again for those of you who aren't uh, normally here. Um, name, somebody name, what do I say a lot? What's the word? All right, I say the word perspective a lot, okay? Um, I talk about the word therefore a lot. And if you see a therefore, what do you ask? What's it there for? All right. Um, apparently, I say key truth a lot. Um, and so there are a lot of other, Smith, Daily Grace, those are my kids. I talk about them a lot. Sports, um, movies, Disney, yes, okay, all right, all these things, all right? Sometimes people do get in trouble in here. That's true, Joey. So don't be one of those people. All right? So key truth. All right? And basically, I give you a key truth. The key truth is really just the overall point of the passage. Okay? Um, and so it's easy for me, easier for me to, to have pull this key truth out at the very beginning so I understand what the author is trying to say. Okay? It's not too dissimilar to English class where your, your teacher tells you to go in and, and find, uh, you know, the, the point of the story, right, or whatever you're reading, um, the, the thesis, right, of, of what's happening, all right? Too much school for you in one day? All right. So, key truth, and, and here's, here's just kind of what I pulled for this for our purposes, okay? An authentic relationship with Christ leads to change that affects every aspect of my life, Okay? So, an authentic, and I say the word authentic, what does the word authentic mean? Real, real true, genuine, a, a real relationship with Christ leads to change in every aspect of my life, okay? Or a change that affects every aspect of my life. Basically, what I'm saying here and what Paul is saying is if you have had a genuine encounter with Christ, if you have an authentic relationship with Christ, there is change that happens that has to affect every aspect of your life, okay? So if you are really in Christ, that doesn't just affect your eternal destination, is what I'm trying to tell you here. That, that accepting Christ, embracing Christ, and having a relationship with Christ isn't simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is a life-changing relationship. Think about it this way. Fellas, I need you to be honest with me for a second. How many of you today, okay, in class, looked at a girl from across the room and was like, <laughs> dang, she looks good? How many of you, you maybe not have said it in that like mid-90s uh, lingo, but you thought it just the same? My man Jacob in the back was actually honest. He was the only honest one. If your girlfriend's sitting next to you, don't raise your hand unless she is in class with you. That would be dumb. All right, huh? Your girlfriend sat next to you, Lance? What? This was news to me. I didn't know that that was a thing. 
If the, the, all right, if the good-looking girl sat next to you instead of across the room, you can still raise your hand. Yes. All right? If you think that you... Yeah, I hear you. All right? Is she sitting in this room currently? Because that's going to get awkward in a hurry. All right. If you had class with Lance today, you could be that girl. All right? No questions. No questions. What? What? All right, ladies, if you were in class with Jack today, and you need to let him know that he's a good-looking dude, handle that on your own time. All right. But, all right, listen to me. Listen to me. Let's bring it back in. If you've ever been in a dating relationship or even a relation, or even you in your head are kind of in that relationship, but that other person doesn't know about it, right? <laughs> some of y'all have been there too. I ain't going to say no names, but some of y'all already been talking in this portion of the, uh, of the talk, all right? So, <laughs> all right. But those kinds of relationships, they don't, they don't just affect one small portion of your life, even, even as a teenager, Right? If you're in a relationship with someone, suddenly, let's just be honest, you're thinking about them all the time, right? Right? You're, you're, you're texting them all the time, right? Some of y'all are like double texting, they ain't texting back, you haven't got the clue yet, they got their read receipts on, they've read it all, but they ain't replied, all right? Okay? All right? You, you understand, you're getting the little triangle on the, uh, the little arrow on the Snapchat, all right? And they're just leaving you there for a while, Okay? Or maybe it's been four days and they haven't opened it at all, which is even a bigger problem probably, okay? But it affects more than just one area of your life, right? You begin to think about them. You begin to schedule things around them, right? Suddenly you spend less time with your friends and more time with them, right? Even your behaviors begin to change. Some of the things that you say begin to change, right? Some of the adults in here that have been married for a while, right, they understand that, that your life, right, it changes when you in, in, enter into a relationship, okay? Now, those relationships hopefully are a lot more serious than the relationships that you're in currently, right? But it still impacts and affects more than just one area. What Paul is saying here is that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, okay? The old is gone, behold, the new. And that, that relationship with Christ not just suggestively, says Paul, but by its very definition, has to change your entire life. The way you view things, the way you engage society and culture, the way you have relationships, right? The way you engage one another, the things that you say, the things that you think, the things that you post, the things that you send, all of that changes if you have encountered Christ, does it mean that you are perfect because you encountered Christ and you never make another poor decision? No. But what it means is that the very starting point for all of your decisions, all of your thoughts, everything that you say, they now have to be filtered through Jesus because you are now a new creation. You're not the old. You're not just a better version, right? You're not going from like iPhone 4 to iPhone 7, right? You're a completely different being, okay? That isn't me just making that up. This is what Paul is saying. This is the language that he uses here, is that you are something new. And so your entire life has to be affected. And that's what we're going to be talking about this semester, is that suddenly how we engage media and culture and society, how we engage one another, 
whether we're dating or want to date or think we're dating or we're friends or we used to be friends or we live across an ocean from somebody and they don't look like us, whether we're talking about our self-worth and our value uh, or depression or suicidal thoughts or what any of these things, how we engage all of those things has to come back and find its foundation in who we are in Christ. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. But I want us to, to kind of unpack this passage real quickly. Uh, we don't have very much time, but I want us to, to kind of go back. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be able to do this. It's not on the screen, but in verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us. It's an interesting phrase. The love of Christ controls us. How many of you like to have your life controlled by something or someone else other than you? None of us, right? It's human nature. Okay, we'll talk about that another time. But um, yeah, uh, most of us, for the most part, like to be our own decision maker, right? How many of you love your parents' rules when it comes to curfew or who you can ride with and who you can't ride with or where you can go or what you, right? You, even though your parents pay for like literally everything that you have, right? You know, I buy my own gas. Cool. You know, you're paying for your health insurance and your car insurance and the car that you're driving and uh, your school uniform. Some of y'all don't have uniforms anymore, um, right? Or all these things, right? You, you even don't like your parents controlling your life, right? You don't want your friends controlling your life. Dudes, you don't want your female friend controlling your life, right? Okay? You, you don't You don't want anyone controlling your life. But Paul says the love of Christ, our love for Christ, controls us. Okay? Verse 14. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake died and was raised. Paul talks in circles a lot and it's sometimes very hard to pick apart what he's saying in our modern day English. But what Paul is saying is, hey, Jesus died in your place. You were guilty before God because of the sin in your life and you were sentenced to death because God loves you, but he's also just and fair. And the just and fair thing for God to do was to sentence you to death because the wages of sin is death. It's how God established things. And because you have sinned, the punishment for that is death. But God sent Jesus to die in your place so that you don't have to experience eternal death. You get to experience eternal life if you have a relationship with Christ. So he says, in light of that, in light of the fact that God selflessly sent his son to die for you in your place, we have concluded this, that because Christ died, our love for him has to control our lives. It controls who we are because we owe God literally everything. We owe him our existence. The very breath that we're taking right now, God gives to us. The life we have here on the earth, and even more importantly, the eternal life that we get to experience if we are in him, is all because God loves us. And as a result, our love for Christ has to control our life. Not our desire for things or stuff or recognition or value or self-worth. None of those things controls us, but our love for Christ must control us. 
Guys, let me tell you that that is the complete opposite of what you're going to hear outside of these walls. It's not what you're going to hear at school. It's not what you're going to hear on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. It's not what you're going to see on the news. It's not what you're going to see from the White House, regardless of who is president. It's not what you're going to hear anywhere else except from the Word of God because it's completely countercultural and contrary to what the, the human condition is that we would be controlled by the love of Christ. Because everywhere else tells you that what you want, what you feel, what you desire ought to control you and motivate you and control your decisions and ambitions. But Paul says, and Jesus says before him, that our love for him must be the guiding force in our life. And so suddenly when we get into October or November and we're talking about some of these very difficult issues and we begin to think through them, And I start to read scripture and inevitably you'll say, but dude, that sounds super lame and I want to do this. And everybody else is doing this. But I feel this way. If we come back to scripture and we get down to it and we say, but our love for Christ controls us, it's going to be counter to what we think and feel a lot of the time. And there's going to come a point where even as a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old where you have to make a very difficult decision and say, here's what I think and what I feel and what I think I want and what everybody else says, what everybody else is doing. But then there's what Christ says. And am I going to choose my love for Christ or am I going to choose my love of self? And it's going to be a very difficult decision. But that's why we're talking about this now when you're 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 because it doesn't get any easier when you're 30 or 40 or 50. The decisions may look different, but they come down to the same question. Does my love for Christ control me or does my love for me control me? Same basic question regardless of what's happening. So verse 14 there sets up this truth. And so we get into verse 16. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What does this even mean? We regard no one according to the flesh. It's kind of a weird deal. Like, what's Paul saying? Anybody have any idea? We regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? Okay, absolutely. So a few things change. Ian's 100% correct. So if you couldn't hear him, he, he basically has said that we no longer judge anybody by what they look like or where they come from or what they've done because they are new, right? So even if that person isn't in Christ, us being a new creation in Christ, as Paul says in verse 17, it changes us and it has to change our perception of other people, okay? So suddenly, Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh anymore. We even once regarded Christ according to the flesh, but we don't even do that anymore. You can no longer regard anyone according to the flesh because you are now in Christ. You are a new creation. And so it changes how you view yourself, okay? Because you are no longer a fleshly, worldly, me-centered being if you're in Christ, right? Because what? Our love for Christ, what? Controls us. And so now suddenly, right, my life is not my own. It's not about me. It's about whom? 
Jesus, right? It's about honoring Christ and glorifying God with our decisions, our thoughts, our actions, our words. And so we regard our decisions not according to the world anymore, but according to God's will for our life. And to Ian's point, it changes how we view other people. Because suddenly, if we're in Christ, we now no longer view people in the way the world views people. We now are called to view people in the way Christ views people, which is difficult. All right, number one, he was God, so he kind of had a little bit of different point of view. But so now suddenly we are to view people as God views people. And so what does that mean for us? Does it mean that suddenly uh, we use the old, uh, I'm colorblind, I don't see race, or I don't see culture, or I don't see language, or I don't see male or female? It's not that we don't see those things. It's that we recognize that those things are worldly things and not heavenly things. And so suddenly we no longer discriminate, we no longer uh, have prejudice because, listen to me, we don't view people the way society views people. We view other people as fellow image bearers. That just means that they were also created in the image of God just like we were created in the image of God. And so now suddenly, and here's, here's what Paul says, okay? And he says this in Romans as well. If you're taking notes, we either see people as either dead to sin or dead in sin. So they are either born again believers and they are now brothers and sisters in Christ. They're dead to sin. Or they are not believers, they are dead in sin and they are in desperate need of Christ. Those are now the two only, the only two categories we see people in. Either we see people as a brother and sister in Christ who are deserving of our love and affection and encouragement as fellow Christ followers, or we see people in desperate need of Christ and we do everything we can to show them the love and compassion of Christ. Does that make sense? Two categories suddenly, right? So Paul talks a lot in the New Testament about that no longer there's, there's no longer slave or free or Jew or Greek. There's no longer barbarian or there's no longer all of these other subcategories. He says there's either those who are, have been made alive in Christ or those who are destined to spend eternity apart from Christ. And either way, we ought to be passionately pursuing and loving those people. Either we're loving and encouraging them in their relationship with Christ, the journey that they're currently on, or we are passionately pursuing them and pointing them to Jesus so that they might come to know him. It's a game changer, guys. If you're a new creation in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, this is now how we're called to view people. And so suddenly it's not the the smelly, dirty kid that nobody wants to sit with in seventh grade. Right? It's not the girl that broke your heart in ninth grade, right? Because you th- thought y'all were a thing that y'all never really were, right? It's, it's not the kid that doesn't look like us, right? It's not the person that lives in the Middle East or in Asia. 
right? It's not the person that has different political or ideological views than us. It's the person that is either a brother or sister in Christ who we love and encourage, or it's the person who needs Christ, and so we do whatever we can to point them to Christ. And so as we begin to talk about these issues all throughout the semester, the things that you guys face every day, right? When we're viewing how we interact with our friends, right? This makes sense. Do I love and encourage them as a brother or sister in Christ? Or do I need to point them to Jesus because they don't know Jesus? Either way, we're honoring God in that, right? So we're talking about how we interact with our parents, right? You're honoring your your parents either way because that's biblical, but are we loving and supporting them because they are also journeying together with us in their relationship with Christ? Or are we honoring them so that in honoring them, we can point them to Christ because they see Christ in us and how we sacrificially serve them? When we talk about alcohol or we talk about sex or we talk about dating, all these different things that we talk about, there's a way that we honor Christ in how we view this passage, okay? Paul goes on to continue to talk about this, and we got to wrap this up in, in just a few quick minutes. But he uses this word, he talks about reconciliation, and we're going to go back and talk about that um, in another session um, in a few weeks, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But this idea of being an ambassador, I love the language that Paul uses here because it's a very practical language that I think the people of the day would have been able to understand In verse 20, it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for whom? For Christ. God is making his appeal through who? Us. And so he says, we implore you. What does it mean to implore? Beg you. I'm pleading with you. I implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. What does the word reconciled mean? Okay, it's to make something right, essentially, right? We don't use the word reconcile too much in our language. We use it really in two, two ways outside of Scripture. One, you reconcile your bank statement, right? So adults, you, you've had to do this. You've had to balance that checkbook and make sure what's in your ledger of your checkbook matches what the bank statement says, right? You're reconciling those things to make them agree. You're making them right. We also use it in terms of marriage, right, where if, if, if a couple is not getting along, maybe they... Uh, they're having marital issues and they separate. All right, you, you hear it say sometimes, we're going to try to reconcile our relationship to make it right. Or you hear the opposite where we they say we have irreconcilable differences, where we have differences that are so strong that we can't make it right. And so God says, be reconciled to God, okay? Be made right with God. And he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin and knew no sin so that it might uh, become the righteousness of God. But he uses this idea of ambassadors. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador do? Anybody know? They they what? They represent a country or some entity or some person, right? An ambassador represents the interest of the person or entity body that sends them, right? The United States has ambassadors to uh, every country around the globe, right? And so it's the job of that ambassador to represent the interest of the United States in that country, okay? So if you, um, you go to Jordan or you go to Yemen or you go to um, uh, Ecuador or you go to Myanmar or wherever you go around the world, 
Okay, the United States has an ambassador to that place, and, and most of the time that country will have an ambassador to the United States. And because our president and our, um, our executive branch can't be in, in all the countries of the world at the same time, we send these people out to represent our interest in that country and to, to negotiate and have diplomatic relations. There's a few things that we have to know about ambassadors, though, for us to understand our job as ambassadors. One, again, they represent the interest of the person who sent them. So in our case, we represent the interest of who? Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ or God, okay? And so we are representing the interests of God. And what does he say his interest is? That the world might be reconciled to him. We are ministers, ambassadors of reconciliation. We are trying to make people's lives, people, right with God by pointing them back to Jesus. It's our job as ambassador. But also, how much power does the ambassador have? It's limited to the power that the person sending you has given you, right? So an ambassador to Syria from the United States doesn't have the power to sign some order or some agreement, some treaty. They get to negotiate it. And it's ultimately up to the head of the state to be able to decide on official um, language of an agreement or a treaty or something. Our job is not to go and to save people, to redeem people, to restore them or to reconcile them. Our job is to go and point them back to the person who sent us. Our job as an ambassador for Christ is to point people back to Jesus, right? In order to be a good ambassador, you have to be able to do a few things. One, you have to know and understand who sent you. You have to understand who sent you. If you're an ambassador to another country and you don't know anything about your country or anything about the president, then you're going to be a pretty poor ambassador, right? So, Ace, if I told you that I wanted you to be an ambassador for the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Central Africa and represent their interest in Thailand, how well would you do at that job? Terrible. Why? You don't know anything about the, the DRC, right? You don't know anything about Thailand. You don't know anything about where you're going or who sent you. You would not be very good. And you're a sharp guy. I've seen you solve Rubik's Cubes with like your eyes closed, all right? Upside down, standing on your head. But you couldn't represent a country that you didn't know anything about. Likewise, look at me, listen to me. You cannot be a good ambassador for Christ, hey, if you don't know Christ. If you know little to nothing about God or his son, you're not going to make a very good ambassador. That's why Paul starts this with, if you are in Christ. It's an if-then statement. If you're in Christ, then you are a new creation. Not you're a new creation whether or not you know Christ. And so that's really our starting point. If you are in Christ, then now you're an ambassador. Okay? You also have to understand where you're going. You also have to understand the people in which you are going, right? So in that example, if, if Ace knows a lot about the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but he doesn't know anything about Thailand, he's not going to be a very good ambassador either because he doesn't know anything about the people he is negotiating with, talking to. He doesn't know anything about the history of the country. He doesn't speak the language. And so look at me. We've missed this for generations in the church. You can't effectively reach people if you're not willing to understand people. If you're not willing to do life and have a relationship with the people you're trying to reach, you're going to be ineffective in reaching them. 
Nelson Mandela has this quote. I don't, you may not know who Nelson Mandela was, but he was the president of South Africa, and he, he helped uh, rescue uh, a, a whole nation from what was called apartheid um, in the late 80s and early 90s. He was elected president after spending uh, years in prison. But he says, he says something to this effect. It's not a direct quote. It's a paraphrase. He says, if you speak a, uh, to a man in a language that he understands, that goes to his head. Basically, he says, if you speak a language that someone understands, they can process that with their brain. He says, but if you speak to a man in his own language, that goes to his heart. So basically what he's saying is, I can come and talk to you about stuff that you kind of understand, and you can have a mental understanding. But if I communicate to you in a way that you communicate, that has the power to change your heart. And so for, for our purposes, if you get to know and understand people on a very intimate level, you gain the trust and the ability to share Jesus with them. Right? It's why we could go rent a helicopter and drop tracks out all over the eastern shore and hope that people catch them and read them and come to know Christ. And the Holy Spirit has the power to do that. And, and God has the power and the ability to change people in that way. But you know what's a lot more effective is you getting to know the kid that sits in your English class over the course of the semester and listening to them and getting to know them. And then in that relationship, you understand better what they're going through, where they come from, and now you can effectively share Christ and share hope with them in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their everyday life because you genuinely care about them and they have built trust in you. And so if you're not willing to get to know people, it's going to be very difficult for you to really have legitimate gospel-centered conversations with them. But if the love of Christ controls you and you regard no one according to the flesh, but now you see them as either people who are in desperate need of Christ or are in need of encouragement because they're already in Christ, suddenly that has an impact on how you interact with one another. Also, you have to be able to understand and communicate the message as an ambassador, right? Every ambassador that's sent out has talking points and a message from the person who is sending them. And guys, if we don't understand the gospel at all, it's going to be very difficult for us to communicate it. It doesn't mean that you have to have every passage in the New Testament memorized. It's okay if you didn't do Bible drills or didn't do Awana when you were younger. But if you have had your life changed by Christ, you have a story. And guys, if you don't know your story, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty tough for you to tell the story of God. And look, if you never bother to open up God's word and see the story of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and the hope of the gospel, when it comes time for you to have that conversation in that English class or in that locker room or at home with your brother or sister or your parents, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't give you the words to say because he can. But if we're not faithful to understand God's redemptive story, it's going to be mighty difficult for us to communicate it to other people. It's hard to be an ambassador for something that you know nothing about. It's hard to communicate a message that you don't know anything about. So what does that have to do with us? We're going to wrap this up, and then the band's going to come and sing one more song. So there are practical implications for us and for you specifically as a teenager, right? 
There's some questions that we have to ask ourselves tonight before we jump into all these specific topics, before we get into dating, before we get into relationships with our friends, before we get into drinking, or before we get into how we interact with the media or social media. The first question you have to ask is, am I in Christ? That is, have I made a decision to follow Jesus? Have I admitted to Christ that I have sin in my life, that there's a separation there? Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God, and that he came and lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross in my place, and rose again? Do I believe that? And have I committed the rest of my life to following after him? Because if we're not at that place, then we're not a new creation. So that's where we have to start. And if you want to talk about that, I'm here all night. My kids are not here tonight, so I've got all night to talk about that. Now, now we have to figure out what my purpose and objective in this life is. In every avenue of life, we like to have a defined purpose or role. Think about it. On your sports team, you have a position, right? Corinne, what position do you play? Goalkeeper. Nate, what position do you play? DN. How many of you just walk out on your sports team, you're like, eh, what's good? Whatever, I'll just kind of stand here and if the ball comes this way, I'll do something, right? We don't do that. That would be ridiculous. How many of you ever gotten to this point in a relationship where you have to define the relationship? You're awkwardly like, are we friends? We talk more than most friends do. Well, There's a lot of Snapchats happening here, like more than I send to anybody else. But I don't know if we're like, are we are we friends? Are we talking? Are we dating? Are we getting married next week? Like, what's, what's, the, what's the deal, right? We, we like defined roles and purposes in everything, but then when it comes to our faith, we don't bother to think about our purpose. So what is your purpose as a Christ follower? What your purpose is as a Christ follower is going to determine how you engage all these issues we talk about. Because if we're just chilling, getting by in life, but we have a relationship with Christ, that's not gonna have any real implication on our dating life or on our relationship with our parents or what we think about this or that. But if we realize that our purpose is to honor God by the way that we love him and love people, it will radically alter how we engage all these topics. Finally, am I basing my daily decisions on that purpose? Are the things I'm doing, not doing, saying, or posting, or sending, fulfilling my role as an ambassador for Christ? Do I view myself as an ambassador for Christ, representing him here on this earth? And is that role, that purpose, is it dictating how I engage the decisions I make each and every day? some things for us to think about. Next week, we're gonna look at um, our relationship with God in a little more detail. Uh, just, uh, it's a, what I call a vertical relationship, right? All right? I don't know that God is hanging out right above us as we see in like pictures and stuff in like uh, children's Bibles. I don't know that he's just like hanging out in a cloud um, somewhere. But this vertical relationship between me and God what does this passage have to say about that in particular? And then after that, we're going to begin to look at horizontal relationships, our relationships with one another, with our friends, our 
people that aren't our friends, our parents, people we, we're trying to date or are dating or wish we could date, but we'll never actually date, right? We're going to look at that in the coming weeks after next week. So we're going to start with vertical next week, and then we're going to look at horizontal relationships. And then after that, we'll look at some different issues that may not be an interpersonal deal, okay? Let me pray for you, and then uh, our band is going to come and lead us in one more song, okay? And then I've got a couple of announcements at the end, okay? I know we only have a few minutes left, but you're going to be okay. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for this message of hope that we find in 2 Corinthians. And God, I pray that it would radically alter our lives, who we are, and what we do. God, I pray that we would be ambassadors for you. God, that we would make an appeal on your behalf, God, for people to know you. God, that we would regard people, we would view people, God, as either brothers and sisters in Christ on the same journey we are who need love and encouragement, God, or we would view people, God, as someone who needs to desperately come to know you. And either way, God, we would be compelled by your love to go and to love other people. So in your name we pray, amen. You guys can stand and sing. Mm -hmm.